What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Spooky Spectacular. As always, I'm your boy, Desecrator, and we're coming in live on All Hallows Eve. Uh, excuse me for that. Uh, this is the time of year where you can be whoever you want to be. Whatever you want to be. And I just want to let you know that I'm thankful for getting fucking just for the month of October. And uh, it is completely over with 121 downloads. That's my biggest fucking payout loadout of all time. And uh, I just want to share the love, just like you've been sharing the love and sticking with your boy DC Cry. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, fucking 64 downloads alone come from the United States. So, uh, yeah, 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 But, yeah, um... I normally read statistics, but I'll do that, you know what, on the next episode. And uh, just a little housekeeping. Last weekend, I had some friends over the, that were supposed to fucking be down and record, but, you know, shit went sideways. And uh, my boy Mystery is uh, the pickup artist of the year, and uh, not really. But, yeah, uh, I'm going to keep in keep in tune and uh just like i did last year i'm gonna go ahead and do again this year with the halloween episode you may know it it's uh, a popular episode around here named spooky scary skeletons so this will be part two of that and i'm gonna go ahead and Read off scary stories and creepy pastas for you people with a little known thrown inside them for fakes. For Jiboy. From Jiboy, you know. So, yeah, um, that's how we do it. And that's how we're going to keep doing it. And let's go ahead and start off this first story. Written by Ashley Rose Wellman. Distorted Warning Signals. When I got the first one, I was literally seconds away from stepping onto a plane when a call from unknown blared from my cell phone. It was also a ringtone I hadn't heard before, one I was pretty sure didn't come with the phone. Normally I would have stopped to answer it, but I was expecting a call about a job and I had an interview for the previous week. I took a deep breath and accepted the call. Hello? A woman's voice garbled and strange, as if her vocal cords had been shredded. She was trying desperately to choke out speech. Despite the unnerving, fractured quality of her voice, her tone was insistent and eerily calm. Then the call ended. I froze. I had always had a slight phobia of air travel, and something about this call just 
There's no way I was about to get on a seven-hour flight now. I turned around and headed toward the food court. I'd just get another flight later in the afternoon, I figured. I watched from the airport Starbucks. Three hours later, as every TV in the terminal lit up with crash footage of the plane I should have been on. No survivors. Not a single one. I tried to trace the call. So did the police. But there was nothing to trace. There was no evidence my phone had ever received a call around that time. They analyzed phone records, incoming and outgoing communication to my phone. Nothing. I wasn't making it up. I couldn't have been. That wasn't the only call. Throughout the years, they were few and far between. But always right. And I always listened. Five months later, my would-be date was convicted of killing four men, all with my hair color and build. Found them in a shallow grave about 250 feet from the diner she offered to take me to. An 18-wheeler lost control and plowed into a line of cars. Every driver was crushed. Every driver killed. In the stretch of freeway, I would have been driving on. No matter if I got a new phone, if I moved across the country, the calls would still come. I could almost feel the presence of whatever it was, whatever it is watching over me. I imagined being at the bottom of a freezing ocean, still trapped into my coach section plane seat, or being in that mass grave across the, from the diner, or watching an 18-wheeler skidding toward my car, knowing death was imminent, and I'd get this tightness in my chest. I think about how thin that line was, how close I had gotten. If I hadn't had a job interview I was waiting to hear back from, I had never listened to that first call, and that would be it for me. It always felt like something was coming for me, but there was always this, this fractured, warped voice with these calls that never seemed to exist after I heard them. Self-destructing warning signals rotting away before my eyes, and I was alive. I had a bad feeling about this cruise. I had planned it as a boys week out with some of my old friends from college and was looking forward to a week in the tropics in the dead of winter. But part of me could almost sense that the call was coming. Maybe I had watched Titanic one too many times, but there was a little nagging fear from the start. I hoped it would be fine, but I knew that if something was going to happen, I'd get the call. I'd know. Now, a week before I'm set to go on the cruise, after stepping into my apartment, after returning from dinner with a friend, I noticed my cell had a message from unknown. They've never had left a message before. I hadn't checked it all night. Damn it! 
I really wanted to go on that cruise. Ah, well. Not worth whatever horrific fate awaited in that cold, dark ocean. I clicked play message and felt my stomach drop as I listened to the voice, sounding horrifically distorted as if it emanated from a throat that was slashed to ribbons, crackling with even more an urgency than ever before. I look around my apartment as the voice on the phone repeats the same phrase over and over and over again. This next story was written by Ryan Brenneman. The gravedigger had an odd conversation. It was hardly past seven that morning when the gravedigger saw the earth stir. Fingers rotted and skeletal burst forth from the dirt, and with force they pulled their bodies to freedom. It was happening all over the graveyard, every grave. Every square inch of dirt was overturned. Soon there were thousands. So many more than the graveyard actually held. A horde of the undead stood before him. The gravedigger watched with his shovel in hand. He found himself simultaneously horrified and fascinated. The creatures stumbled about. They moved with urgency but their decrepit bodies only allowed for so much. Yelling and screaming, they started to coalesce near the center of the graveyard. They were revolting. Damned souls. Just as the gravedigger went to turn to flee, a hand gripped his shoulder. The grime soaked deep into his sleeve. It leaked down his arm. Behind him, a man, what's left of him, stared into the gravedigger's eyes. The corpse's face had long since lost its tissue, but it had eyes, returned anew to their sockets, that showed nothing but fear. The ghoul spoke to gravedigger, and gravedigger listened. Go! It begged him. Please go! What sort of madness was this? What trickery of hell? The gravedigger brought his shovel to bear, and he swung it down on the corpse. It was met with a revolting moist crunch. The figure fell, his fingers twitched, and his skull leaked. From behind, three more figures came. Two ignored the gravedigger. They went to pick up the wounded husk at the gravedigger's feet. They dragged him on with all their strength they could muster. They carried him like a wounded ally. The third figure, what once had been a woman, perhaps, spoke to the gravedigger. She pleaded, Go. Go. Please, Please tell them. The gravedigger couldn't move. 
he wouldn't. These fiends were no masters of him. Why did they command him so? For what purpose? Answers. He demanded answers. Why? He asked. The words falling out of his bearded face. Why aren't you in the ground? The ghoul didn't blink. She simply told him the terrible truth. Hell, it isn't safe anymore. Those words. The gravedigger couldn't even comprehend them. What was the meaning of them? Hell? Safe? What kind of haven was the pit of eternal damnation? What are you talking about? Had she a tear to cry, she would have let it fall. Instead, she had to use her trembling voice to convey her fears. Lucifer's dead. He killed him. He is coming. The words held no meaning for the gravedigger, for he had not been there. He had not seen the horrors that even the denizens of hell itself couldn't describe. Then, from the graves, dark figures with eyes of flames and hatred came. They moved like smoke, and they filled the air with their sulfurous fumes. The gravedigger watched as demons. Satan's orchestrators of pain and suffering began to assist the poor, wandering souls below. They started to stack on top of each other, one by one. Their bodies built a foundation. What in the name of God? He could only ponder. A collective lamenting cascade down from the hills around. The gravedigger saw them. From every direction, more hordes moved together, more undead. They lumbered forth with his cemetery in their sights, their hellish rendezvous. The gravedigger was speechless. The ghoul, the ghoul instructed him, Go to your family. We'll need them too. My... Uh, he questioned the request. My family? The living... The thing corrected her gaze skyward. We'll need them too if we're to make it. Make it? Make it where? The ghoul cried as she wandered forth. Urgency flooded her words. The gates! We have to make it to the gates! The gravedigger shook his head. Their aim was clear, but his teachings were concrete. What's judged is judged. He won't take you or any of us unworthy. That stopped her for just a moment. She turned, for he knew nothing. We, we seek not redemption, redemption, she said. We, we dance to warn the righteous. The honesty in the ghoul's voice brought a heavy weight to the gravedigger's stomach. He couldn't stand. The earth below had started to tremble. The gravedigger fell to the dirt at his knees. The gravedigger fell to the dirt as his knees gave in, and with his face to the ground, he heard it. There was a deep, unbridled scream echoing beneath the surface. A demented laugh. The sound of a thousand hornet wings and insect feet. It grew closer, climbing, 
As he stood, bodies were flung atop each other as the demons and the forgotten built their tower to salvation. Who is he? The gravedigger asked. It was his turn to plead, but the corpses said nothing. It didn't take much for the gravedigger to realize they couldn't respond even if they wanted to. They didn't know. As the gravedigger ran home, the ghoul uttered a final mantra under her breath. The words still tasted so alien to her, so vile and disgusting. It was all they had left. God must know. He is coming. This next story was written from Reddit user I Can't Breathe Anymore Zero. The title, The Hallway Wasn't Empty. Did you know that once introduced to routine, our brains are capable of accepting it to the extent that when something changes, it doesn't notice? The change could be small and harmless. An object that wasn't or something moved to another room that you would normally duck around on your way out? You'll still duck around it, grabbing your coat in an expertly practiced movement of routine, never thinking twice. Most people never think twice. They have more important things to think about and do. And then there's us, the unfortunate ones, who wake up. Waking up isn't pleasant, and it's not something you would ever want to experience. It isn't being imbued with special knowledge or given important details. It simply is, and it's simply awful. Let me explain. In the best way I can, in hopes of helping you accept your natural defense against what is. I've always been a terrible sleeper. I wake up often from vivid dream worlds that I sometimes wish I could return to. My life is nothing special. I'm unemployed and disabled and bored out of my mind most of the time. Anxiety-induced insomnia is a dance I've danced since childhood. When I would stay up for days at a time with little better to do than stare out my window all night, but it wasn't until I turned 25 that I started waking up. The night was just like any other night. I made myself dinner and settled down on my mattress placed on the floor of the living room. YouTube played in the background. My eyes were trained on the bowl of food and on my phone. Its eyes were trained on me. Its eyes were trained on me. I knew something was wrong when I felt a lump in my throat and my pulse speed up considerably. Even though I could see the shape of a body in my peripheral vision, at the end of the dark hallway right in front of me, my eyes remained on my phone and food. My brain was fighting hard to censor this knowledge, unacceptable to my nightly routine, unfathomable to any human. When it was suddenly moving, and I had only foggy memories of the night previous, I was left confused. 
My body felt sick as if it had experienced a trauma that I wasn't privy to. As the day went on, my memories pieced together what I couldn't recall. I made dinner. I sat down. YouTube was on in the background. My eyes were on the phone and my food. The hallway was empty. Its eyes were on me. Its eyes were on me. The figure moved. Sweat beaded my brow. My eyes still didn't look up, but I knew it was there. I knew it was there. It wasn't just moving. No. It was moving towards me in a way that was simply unnatural. It was bent at the waist, and its torso twisted sideways with frail legs that took long, stiff, loud steps. From its mouth came a droning, croaking noise, rising in volume as its anger grew. Its arms were out at its sides, stretched towards me. I've never been able to look directly at it. If I do, I know I'll see something I was never meant to comprehend. I'm afraid that looking at it will cause damage that can never be reversed. A funny notion considering we both know I'm done for. If you ever, during your daily routine, feel like something is wrong or suddenly become tense and anxious, keep going through it. Go about your day and think nothing of it. You'll sincerely regret doing otherwise and waking up like some of us do. The hallway was never empty. And each night it comes closer. This next story was written, or I should give credit to somebody going by the pen name Something in the Dark. The story is called Childhood Fears. I have to stop doing this. I know I'll work in the morning. I know I have one strike, but I get distracted. The basement is dimly lit by a single light bulb hanging from the center of the room. Well, that in my television screens. The beige walls contrast the white carpet to make it seem almost as if it's glowing. I have a whole house to myself, but always find myself retreating back here. All that's changed in the past 10 hours has been the movies appearing on and off my screen and the sound of my clock, which sounds every hour. This is what snaps me out of my trance. My eyes dart toward my clock, and I see that it reads three. I only have about four hours until work, but I really, really don't want to go upstairs. See, I have a childish, embarrassing fear. We've all been victims of this, but mine never left. My light switch is at the bottom of the stairs. This means I have to turn off my light and then sprint up the stairs like a kindergartner. Why? 
because as stupid and immature as it may sound, I am certain that there are monsters lurking in each corner of my basement, waiting to snatch me and pull me into wherever they go when the light is shed upon where they lurk. So, as you can imagine, it's a living hell to go upstairs each night. Procrastinating doesn't help much either. I take a deep breath, tell myself to man up, and I get up. I walk to the television and turn it off with a loud click. I hate myself for this. It's so quiet. I can practically hear the beast breathing. I put my hand on the icy cold switch. The breathing of the things intensifies. I feel like a caged animal being watched, stalked. I look up the stairs. Only a few seconds and it will all be over. One. Two. Three. Pitch black. I have no sense of direction. They are touching me. I know they are. I feel the fragile papery skin of one. The moist scales of another. The air grows damp with their breath in mine. They're grabbing, clawing at me, eager to pull me back into the abyss. Nipping at my ankles and pulling at my legs. One part of me says it can't be real. But all the other parts tell me to get out of this horrific place. I feel the unbelievably slippery brass doorknob in my sweaty palms. I grip the rustic sphere and turn it with all my force. When I break into the cool air of my living room, the fresh air fills my lungs like the first step outside on a brisk autumn day. The dimly moonlit room is all the relief I could ever ask for. I look into the abyss for one last time and shut the door. My heart skips a beat when something squishy keeps the door from closing. As quickly as this living room gave me salvation, it is just as quickly turning into a nightmare. I look down, ready to confront whatever demon that has made its way out of my personal land of nightmares. But I am confronted with is a sock. My, my left sock. Wedged in between the doorframe. I look down and sure enough, only my right foot is covered. I chuckle to myself, wondering how I could be so childish, so silly. I toss the old sock into the darkness of my less horrifying basement. It gets tossed back. This next story was written by Leo Perez, and it is titled, The Sound of Silence. The road had been covered in a dense fog. Denise decided to rent a room for the night, seeing as how she parked near an unfamiliar hotel. She got out of her car, looking around for any signs of an entrance within the gray haze. A small light broke through the fog to reveal a glass door leading into the hotel lobby. An aged man behind the counter looked at Denise with an exhausted expression. Can I help you, miss? He asked in a fatigued voice. Denise came forward and asked for a room. After the exchange, she was given a key. 
She headed to the room and locked the door behind her. She sat down for a moment, talking to a partner who had always listened to her. He was always there, from her disastrous divorce to her parents' deaths. No one understood her quite like he did. He made her feel safe, always protecting her from the cruelty of the outside world. She left it all behind with him on her side. He never judged her. He never let her down. Denise felt complete when she first held him. A woman who had always traversed life on a single path. When she held him, she felt a power that only he could provide. Denise took out a bottle of wine, sipping on it with a tearful satisfaction as the stereo vibrated with her favorite music. The night was still. Still enough for her thoughts to come racing through all at once. She recalled the old saying, your mind can be your own worst enemy. Her imagination ran rampant with different possibilities. What could have been, how things should have been, and how it was all too late to change. Choices cannot be taken back once they've been made. Denise went into the bathroom, spreading her makeup all over the sink. She fixed herself up perfectly for her partner. She always took pride in how well she could place crimson lipstick on her soft lips. Denise was a beautiful woman indeed, but she never saw herself that way. Her ex-husband didn't care that she was a vision of beauty. His only goal was the conquest of other women's hearts. Denise's partner eventually took care of that problem. The music shifted to soft jazz. Denise slow danced out of the bathroom and over near the bed where she took her partner and swung him around to the beat. Denise held him tight as the night progressed, all while the tears were rolling down her eyes. Her mascara mixed with the water trailing down her dimples. The dance came to a stop the moment the music ended in a sound of silence. Denise looked at her partner ready to do what she had been wanting to do for so long. She got on her knees, grabbing him firmly. She always admired how big he was, often filling him up to remember how much strength he gave her. Slowly, she placed his shaft in her mouth as far as possible. Utter bliss went through her body. She was finally doing what she had been wanting to do this whole time. She closed her eyes as her partner finally said something that long, cold night. The shot was heard by several rooms. The police found Denise's body on the floor. She committed suicide. Rather than being arrested for shooting her ex-husband, next to her beautiful corpse laid her partner at 357 Magnum. Well, that about does today's episode. I'm going to release this at midnight Halloween morn. On the morn of all Hallows Eve. So all you ghouls and gals. Guys and pals. 
<laughs> um, be safe, all right? If you're going to get fucked up, get fucked up. Get an Uber. Have a friend drive you home. Ride a bike. Well, no, you can still get a DUI with riding the bike. Uh, just find someone else to take you home. If you're going to be fucking partying. Um, for all of you with kids, uh, check your candy. Make sure you give Grandpappy all the old shit that nobody likes. You know I'm talking to you fucking banana Laffy Taffy. Nobody wants that shit. Nobody fucking wants fucking circus peanuts. Fuck that! I don't need that shit in my life. Thank you, Tony. As always, uh, this has been Hanging Heavy. It's too spooky for me. Much love and rich and rare.